0: of the devil than anything else. He's either demon-possessed or possessed by the devil himself. For him to do the things that he did, you have to believe that his whole idea of the final solution, which somebody told me I should never mention, but you know what? Gotta mention it. That's history. And if, if the world today and the PC police are trying to, you know, keep us from Mentioning history, that's because they're on the wrong side, spiritually. But that's, that's what that was all about. So all of these tying in together, you know, this, this idea of, of, of being conquerors and, and, and all, that, that's what that's about. It's, it's not about religion, as it were. Yeah, it is a religion, just as much as atheism is a religion. Did you know that? Atheism is a religion? Because a man who says they don't believe in God has to have a God, and they're their own gods. But don't be fooled. In the book of Romans, we're told that everybody knows that there's a God. So in reality, there are really no atheists in the world. So let's get away from that rabbit trail and get back to our text. Interestingly enough, Magog is made up of much of Turkey. The, uh, the state or the nation, not, not, not in the United States, but the nation of Georgia and many of the former so- southern Soviet republics, you know, Kazakhstan and all of the Stan brothers, you know, that we mentioned a while back. Almost all of them we mentioned, we left out a couple. But all of these, it's made up of Turkey, uh, Magog, in other words, that whole land you know that we were talking about. Made up of Turkey, Georgia, many of the former southern Soviet republics. All of these nations were primarily Muslim. We, th- we might be thinking that that kind of warfare mentioned is, as I said, from a different time. But current events of the past few years or so have reminded us of the usage of swords for what? Beheading. Beheading. And, and there's a reference, folks, there's a reference in the book of Revelation that talks about those saints that were beheaded for their faith, that are under the altar of God, beheaded for their faith. I don't know about you, but those of you might have been a believer back in the, in the 70s, you know, and, and, and you were studying Bible prophecy and you read that, you kept thinking, man, they're going to bring out the guillotines again from France, you know. Have those blades coming down, you know. Well, before you do that, here's, I, I got a watermelon. Would you kind of cut this first type of thing? But that, that's not the case. It never was back then. It isn't now. Sometimes we hear about beheadings, and we think, wow, that, that's shocking. And it is. But the fact is, they're happening every day in Muslim countries. Every day. People are being beheaded, either for their faith or because they have uh, uh, violated Sharia law. So that's going on as well. One other point, by the way, we know, when we get back to this issue of how is this war going to take place and with what when I talk about armaments... I wouldn't, I wouldn't de- deny wh- whatsoever that we're going to see modern armament take place. But let me give you one little bit of fact here. Seven-eighths of the world's volume of horses today, seven-eighths of the world's volume of horses is in Russia, just for you to think about. There's talk about horses in, in, in battle. We say, well, that's obsolete, is it? It might not be. Just saying. I like that saying. Just saying. Think about it. Keep it in mind. Now, once again, I want to take you back to Genesis chapter 10 because this this is the the establishment of the nations of the world after the flood. And uh, there in Genesis 10, beginning at uh, verse 1, I'm going to read a few verses here down through. Uh, verse 8 and all but I'm reading this uh, for a purpose because I want to remind you again that the nations mentioned in Ezekiel 38 are not just mentioned without the fact that there is a there is a foundation to their existence so in verse 1 it says now these are the generations of the sons of Noah Shem, Ham and Japheth and unto them were sons born after the flood. Now look, look at the sons of Japheth. Gomer. Is Gomer one of the nations mentioned? Yes. Gomer and Magog. And then there's Madai and Yavon or Javan. And by the way, Yavan is, is, is actually, will become the nation of Greece. We'll talk about that another time. And then there's Tubal. That's one of the nations mentioned there in Ezekiel 39. And Meshech. If you remember, that is one of the major uh, nations mentioned. Gog, the chief prince of, or the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. And then another mention, uh, another uh, uh, son is mentioned named Tirash. So they come from the sons of Japheth that would settle in that area of the world, Known as Asia Minor, and uh, it would become the land of the Scythians, that would become the land of the southern uh, republics of, of, of the old Soviet Union. Verse 3 says the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, and Rifat, and Togarma. The house of Togarma is mentioned in Ezekiel 39. And the sons of Javan, Elisha and Tarshish. Tarshish, of course, we talked about the, uh, uh, the, na- the, the nations farthest, farthest west in Europe, possibly Spain and or England. Ketim and Dodanim, by these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, everyone after his tongue, after their families and their nations. And, I, and then I mentioned here the sons of, of, of Ham, Cush. Cush is one of the sons of Ham. Cush is mentioned. Cush is in the northern part of Africa, the continent of Africa. Mizraim and Put, or Put, and Canaan. And the sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, and Sabta, and Rama, and Sabtecha, and the son of Rama. Now notice, Sheba and Dedan, those are the nations that comprise uh, the modern Saudi Arabia, uh, Dubai, uh, Arab uh, United Arab Emirates uh, Kuwait and uh, I mentioned this only to go on to verse 8 Cush begat Nimrod he began to be a mighty one on the earth and we know that Nimrod was the one who established that city called Babylon so that's all the tie-in to the nations that are going to be led by this leader Gog to go and battle against Israel. Now, I said the name Gog, and I wanted to define it once again, but the name Gog means high, it means elevated, and it also means the origin or supplier of. The origin or supplier of. Now, that's an interesting uh, designation for uh, Gog. The first thing that we want to deal with here in, in verse 1 of, of chapter 39 is the fall of Gog. The fall of Gog, and realize <clears throat> that the cry that is against Gog is made by the Lord Himself. It is the Lord who cries out to and against Gog. He says, I am against thee, O God. You know, God doesn't need a prophet or anybody else. <laughs> To, you know, to stand and, and, and face the enemy and say, hey, I'm against you. Now, if the Lord was going to try to soften things up, you know, he might send a few people and say, hey, listen, God's against you. You better get yourself right. That's been happening. How many times has the Lord had mercy and upon, mercy upon, mercy upon many of the nations of the world today? But now we're getting to crunch time here in in light of the times in which we live. And now it says, okay, time's running out. You've all had the opportunity. But now you, Gog, I'm against thee. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is making it clear that he is going to defend Israel against her enemies. And he speaks directly to the leader supplier of the armies. Now, will Russia then be the supplier of a holy jihad against Israel? Quite possibly in retaliation for the defeat of the nations surrounding Israel in the Psalm 83 war that we've talked about earlier. Would that be what is happening here? It is quite possible. I've mentioned, you know, nothing is impossible in this whole scenario as we're looking at things that are yet to happen i'm not trying to make this happen i'm just telling you as you study these these passages psalm 83 when we studied it we realized that all the nations mentioned there are nations that are currently surrounding israel geographically they are up against israel and they are all enemies of israel They all want Israel to be defeated. They all want Israel to be destroyed. They all want Israel to be cast into the sea. For for the most part, most of those nations, when they make maps, always leave Israel out because they hate Israel. And if you hate Israel, you hate the God of Israel. And this is why God is standing firm against the enemies here. He did it in psalm eighty three in other words, if, if and when that war happens i don 't mean if but when that war happens, the only if is when it happens. The fact of the matter is because those nations are today existing, it can happen at any time and as I said that if you if you put this together with a lot of the other prophecies, especially Uh, you know the the, the Old Testament prophets both major and minor prophets and include the book of Revelation and a few things that Paul writes in his letters then you have to believe that uh, these wars have to happen almost immediately after the rapture of the church and before the seven year period of tribulation that Israel is going to go uh, through until that is completed book of Daniel chapter nine. So the, these, are, these are things that we consider to be pretty much in line chronologically as we as we see it in scripture. Uh, there are other variations but not too different. Some believe that the Ezekiel 38-39 war is going to take place midway through the tribulation period. That's possible. I'm not saying it is impossible but I would say that a lot has to happen in a very dramatic sense for there to be the revealing of the Antichrist at the beginning of the seven years as a man of peace and he has to be he has to appear as a man of peace who is finally going to solve the thing that all these other presidents couldn't solve. And I'm not saying that he's a president or going to be a president, but he's going to be actively involved in bringing peace between uh, Israel and the Palestinians, which means Israel and the whole Arab world. Now next, next chapter, we're not there quite yet, of course. But in the next chapter, we're going to talk about the temple. And some people today have this, this real concern about the Temple Mount. You know, you know recently in the news, we've seen, some, we've seen some things happening on the Temple Mount. There were some uh, Israeli uh, uh, officers, police officers that were shot on the Temple Mount uh, and killed a few weeks ago. And that is that is a I mean that is a tinderbox of of, of uh, concern for for Israel and, and 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 you know the world for the sake of it the United Nations as it were. But there is something that uh, you know I'm going to talk about in a few weeks. I'm, I'm itching to do it right now, but I don't I don't want to do it right now. But here's the thing: the, the problem is that if. If, we're, if they're waiting to build the temple, you know, the, the next temple on the temple mount, most of the Arabs have already said, or I should say most of the, uh, the Islamics, uh, the Muslims are saying, if, if they do anything to try to do that, there's going to be war. They bring one shovel into this place, there's going to be war. This is, their, this is their whole thinking. How are you going to convince them that uh, that temple needs to be there. Okay, I'm going to give you a little bit, just, just a little bit. I was just itching, but I'm going to give you just a little bit. Uh, I, back in the book of, when we were studying the book of Revelation a couple of years ago, in this whole uh, prophetic theme that we've been covering over the last two or three years, uh, I had mentioned that the, one of the alternatives or uh, possibilities is that uh, they will work a section of the northern part, not exactly where the, the Dome of the Rock is, which is the gold dome uh, 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 building structure that is right over the, the rock that supposedly Mohammed had left up uh, into heaven on his horse, his horse named Barak, by the way, up into heaven. And uh, anyway, uh, there, there, to keep peace there, the northern section of this 36 acre piece of land, has, has is just a kind of like a trees and all kind of stuff. And the possibility was, and I said, this is just an alternative. I'm not saying it's going to happen. But they could probably, it's big enough for them to build a temple there. They'll have peace, and, and they would not have to, you know, destroy the Dome of the Rock or whatever. So now, and, and I, this is controversial, so I'm just going to mention it as what is happening. There is another alternative. And the alternative is that the temple was never really built on the temple mount. That's all I'm going to say. And we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But the fact is, if the temple was not really built on the temple mount, then there will be a great possibility to have the temple built more immediate than on the temple mount. So, keep your shirts on, and we'll get to that very shortly. We've got to get back to 39 here, because we've only been in one, verse 1, right? So we've got to move on. All right, so it's, it, it has to be stated, going back to Russia, that Russia already is the major supplier of arms to Islamic nations. And by the way, I have to, I have to add this, but they're the major supplier, not, not China, even though they have arms from China, but North Korea is also supplied heavily by Russia for their arms. They still have Russian guns and, and they use them. So just, just so you know. And, and again, it needs to be pointed out that most of the former Soviet uh, republics, the southern Soviet republics are is Islamic. Most of the Islamic leaders of these nations more than likely received their education in Moscow. Now, I want you to consider that islam and you have to consider this Islam is the second most widely spread religion in Russia proper today when I say russia i'm just talking about that section that is called Russia. remember there are many other sections like georgia and uh and uh um, where Kiev is uh, uh anyway the other the other nations and and then so on and so forth but but uh Islam is the second most widely spread religion in Russia proper today. The first, of course, is, is Russian Orthodox. And then there's Islam. That is not counting the other nations just mentioned. I did mention Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan and all of the other Stans. No, this is just Russia. So that, that's a pretty heavy thought. And, and, the, and, and the connection and the tie to Islam. Okay, let's go on to verse 2 now. In verse 2 of Ezekiel 39 it says, And I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee and will cause thee to come up from the north parts and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. This is kind of a review of what we saw in chapter 38. But this verse focuses on the ultimate cause of the invasion. Now I want you to focus on what it says. I will turn thee back And I will cause thee. That's grammatically correct here. I will cause thee to come up from the north parts. And I will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. All of the eyes that I mentioned. All of that is understood in the grammar. I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee, and I will cause thee to come up from the north parts and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. This verse focuses on the ultimate cause of the invasion. And once again, it is the Lord himself. It is the Lord himself working with the heart of this evil ruler God. The Lord will stir him to invade Israel. I will cause you. Now God is God and he can do what he wants to do. He has the power, the right, and the authority, and he has within his foreknowledge and with his providence for Israel this freedom to do what he does. Now, I want you to remember that God's purpose will be to erase evil and and eventually and ultimately establish righteousness, not only in Jerusalem and in Israel, but on the earth. Righteousness has to come upon the whole earth. That means all of evil will be destroyed. So when you go back to Ezekiel 38 for just a moment, go back a page and look at verse 16. Notice what God says, Thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. And that describes this movement of an army, this great army coming from the north and remember, they're not just coming from the north. They're also coming, uh, coming from the southwest, which means they're coming up from uh, uh, all of northern Africa. We tied those other nations into to, uh, Libya and to uh, Ethiopia, and they're coming up against uh, Israel as well. He says, as, uh, as a cloud to cover the land, it shall be in the latter days. So now there's a description of the time frame, which is still yet to come. And I will bring thee against my land that the heathen may know me. He's a he- I mean, God has a reason. I'm going to bring you up so that the nations, remember, heathen means nations. It also is representative of, of, um, uh, of, of the heathen, yeah, because it's, it mentions heathen, or the pagans. But it's, it, is, it is really speaking about the heathen, or, or the nations, I should say. That the nations may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee, O God, before their eyes. He will be sanctified by bringing judgment and justice to the attacker and the leader of the armies against Israel. So now there, there's some question as to whether this particular invasion is describing uh, the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, as mentioned, now there's a couple of mentions, and I don't want to go into all of those details right now. But uh, in Revelation 20, verses 7 and 8, it says, When the, the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog. And just because Gog and Magog are mentioned here, then uh, there, there are some people that say, Well, see, this Gog-Magog war is not really going to take place until the very end of, 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 of the ages before Christ enters into Uh, you know stop all of that and go into Jerusalem but we're going to we're going to look at a couple of, of questions about that so I shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth Gog and Magog to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea so the terms Gog and Magog here are not referring to a definite area as in Ezekiel Gog and Magog, I mean that, that is a clear designation to the area of the Scythians or the, the land north of Israel. Here it is referring here in Revelation 20 is referring to the enemies of God and Christ worldwide. He has attached Gog and Magog to the nations of the world. Now God has done that before. He has actually called this, the, you know, the, the reprobate. Sinners of Israel, Sodom and Gomorrah. He has applied those kinds of of, of, uh, of of mention to other nations because of their wickedness and 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 their um, you know their choices of of sins. So uh, the terms Gog and Magog does not does not refer to them being a part of this last last war. Uh, what it is is about timing it's about timing for instance will the israelis be burning weapons by the way we're going to study that in verse 9 of this chapter will the israelis be burning weapons seven years into the millennium because right after that battle that it talks about at the end jesus go jesus comes in and begins the thousand year reign in jerusalem so are the Israelis going to burn weapons for seven years into the millennium? Into the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth? No, they're not going to do that. They don't need to do that. Because once Christ comes, everything's get, everything gets renovated. Everything does. And again, we'll see that when we get to verses 9 and following. The other question is, will they be burying bodies for seven months during the same time frame? That's verse 12. So right there are the questions that really make us realize that we're talking about two different conflicts, two different battles. And again, we'll talk about those later. But if you go back, if you will, to uh, to verse 2, and it says, I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee. Now, that, that can be interpreted in a few different ways. Uh, five, you can look at it as five-sixths of the armies will be either destroyed, leaving only one-sixth. He turns back. And so five-sixths, that's a lot of people that are going to be destroyed. Or as some believe, the Lord is mentioning six plagues are going to be administered upon them. And what some of these commentators use is Ezekiel 38 verse 22 as their proof text. They will look at it, verse 22 of Ezekiel 38, where it says, And I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood. Those are two. I will rain upon him, that's three, and upon his bands, upon the many people that are with him, an overflowing rain, four, great hailstones, five, fire, six, and brimstone. Uh, seven. Well, actually, it's, uh, that's too many. Okay, so... Going back, the rain is overflowing rain. That's four, great hailstones fire, uh, three, great hailstones fire, uh, four, fire, five, brimstone six. <laughs> okay. All right. Anyway, they say that those are the six plagues. But, uh, again, I, I mentioned that when you look at the overflowing rain, it's, it already mentions rain. Why two rains as being one? So it's, it's like, no, no, it's that overflowing rain is connected to the rain of fire uh, and brimstone. The rain of great hailstones. Uh, when when we experience hail damage here and, and hail thing that goes on, it always happens with rain, doesn't it? I mean, it's the rain starts and then all of a sudden you hear the and you know you get all this all these holes uh, you know or dents in your car, and then all of a sudden the next thing you know is there are five thousand dent fixers in El Paso. So I don't know how that happens, but they must come out of the woodwork. Uh, with the cucarachas. But anyway, that's another matter. So the point, the point is that it, it's not a plague. I mean, it, it, it's really saying he's going to destroy five-sixths of this army, leaving a sixth of the people. Because again, understand that he's saying, I am going to let the nations know that I am the God of Israel. Now, while that is possible about, you know, as I said, the, the, the plagues, either outcome is going to be devastating. Any, any way you look at it, it's going to be devastating to the enemy. And that's the whole point. What we find in Scripture is really clear. If we intend or do something against somebody, that's going to be our judgment. And especially when it comes to nations. Nations that stand up and come against God's people uh the judgment is if you dig a hole to bury somebody you're going to bury yourself in it and once again those judgments actually uh, substantiate what happens to these nations it's significant that this was how sodom and gomorrah were judged as well Genesis 19, verses 24 and 25 say, Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew up or grew upon the ground. So we know that that was completely devastating, completely devastating. Uh, God would not allow any. Remember how Abraham pleaded lord you know if if there are 50 righteous if there are 40 righteous 30 righteous 20 10 would you save the city yeah there's 10. never went below that there wasn't even one except for lot who was the righteous lot yet he was living in sodom God had to remove him. So God's judgment is a a devastating thing. Verses 3 and 4 now of Ezekiel 39, I will smite thy bow out of thy left hand. I will cause thine arrows to fall out of thy right hand. Some people will say, okay, now arrows today would maybe be ICBMs, Intercontinental Ballistic Missiles, or any missiles of any... Sort like back in the day of the, of the war in Iraq, you know, the Scud missiles and all that were being fired, stuff like that. Possible. You know, we, we don't rule that out, of course, because it has yet to happen. But it says in verse 4, Thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel. That is for sure. God is the one speaking, and he's the one that says, You're going to fall in the mountains of Israel. Thou and all thy bands and the people that is with thee, and I will give thee unto the ravenous birds of every sort, and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. Now some have said that those, those uh, birds are, are part of the destruction of, of nations at the end in the, Ar- in, in the battle of Armageddon. But let's uh, suffice it to say that God can bring birds into the picture anytime he wants. So this is the reason why he says, I will give thee unto the ravenous birds. We're going to talk a little bit more about that as we get more into chapter 39. And it appears that even before Gog and the invading nations can launch their weapons, whatever their weapons may be, the Lord will strike and knock out those weapons right out of their hands. The enemy will be slaughtered on the mountains of Israel and become food for the birds and wild animals. Then comes the certainty of the event. Verse 5, very important, the certainty of the event. Thou shalt fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. That is a certainty. If God says something, it's going to happen. That's biblical prophecy, 101. If God says it, it's going to happen. This is not a maybe. This is a certainty. When the Lord says it, you can count on it. So this is his means of judgment for these enemies of his people. Verses 6 and 7. And I will send a fire on Magog... And among them that dwell carelessly in the isles. Now, uh, more literally, it says, and among them that dwell at ease, with a confident ease in the coastlands. The isles, the word isles is a very easy word in, in Hebrew. It's E. E. Can you all say E? E. Uh, that's, that's the isles. But that, that little word is used for coastlands. So if you think about all the nations that are coming down from the north, not so much them, but all those that surround Israel from the south and from the northwest, for example, uh, Lebanon, and, and, and we've already mentioned them in Psalm 83. But all the coastland, they're at ease. Them that dwell at ease. I'm gonna send fire on them. Because they think that we, here we have an army that is so great that that little, little piece of property known as Israel, you know, what are they going to do? By the way, do you all remember that back in 1948 on May 15 when Israel became a a nation, they had to fight for their existence that very same day against all the nations of Egypt and and Jordan and, and, and all these other nations that surrounded them? And they, de- and, 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 they, and, and they kept their independence, and they continue today to fight for their uh, existence. 1948, 1956, 1967, 1973. Each time, the enemy said, we're going to push Israel into the sea. Each time, God protected them. But now, as we move toward the end, he says, I'm not going to just protect them i'm going to destroy you because now it's time i've given you enough time to get right with me so this is why he says they shall know that i am the lord so i will make my holy name known in the midst of my people israel we have an we have an israel today that for the most part is not a religious people they will become that in the sense of believing and trusting in the Lord. They will become that when the Lord shows them his power by protecting them from His enemy, from their enemies. I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them pollute my holy name anymore. Who's the them? Well, we could probably say it's, it's the people that are attacking Israel, and we would be right to some extent. But do you know that Israel has polluted the name of God themselves? And they'll be the, one of these days they'll be the first to admit that. They may not admit it today. But all you need to go back and read is the prophets of Israel to know that they themselves disgrace the name of their God by being idol worshipers, by taking on the, you know, the, by, by disobeying God and rebellion, marrying, you know, the, the, the women of, 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 of their enemies, which God said he didn't want them to do. So he says, I will not let them pollute my name, my holy name anymore. And the heathen, so now he points to the heathen, so that gives us even more understanding that he's speaking to Israel first. And he says that the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. The heathen are the nations. So as we began today with all the talk today about uh, nuclear destruction in nations such as North Korea and Iran seeking to possess nuclear weapons, which they more than likely have already, we would have to consider that after having enjoyed a, a period of more than 50 years of nuclear stability among nations based on a diplomatic doctrine known as mutually assured destruction. How many of you have heard that? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. Mutually assured destruction. That was based on only two adversaries, the United States and the Soviet Union. But that stability no longer exists. The late Robin Beard, former Assistant Secretary General of NATO, during the Reagan administration, so that was over 30 years ago. He once said in a meeting at NATO headquarters in Brussels, and I quote, when the Soviets were in power, We knew the procedures to put in place to prevent an accident. Today, we don't even know who has the button. That was in Reagan's time. Today, we don't even know who has the button, and there's a power grab going on. How much more 30 years later? When over 11 countries, actually now it's about 15 countries, have nuclear capabilities. Another advisor at NATO around the same time, Robert Hunter, is quoted as saying, a nuclear confrontation in the Middle East is not just likely, it is certain. It is just a matter of timing. Timing. Are some of the word pictures that we've read in this passage pointing to the same kind of confrontation? Is all of this, you know, arrows and and uh, fire and rimstone and everything else is it just showing the kind of, of destruction that's going to come uh, from nuclear detonations well we'll see but to close here with the last couple of minutes that we have i'd like you to have uh, to turn to psalm 2 verses 1 through 12 which by the way is all the psalm the whole psalm and nothing but the psalm Psalm 2, verses 1 through 12. Why do the heathen rage? Why do the nations rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves. Now notice, this is pretty general. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. Notice. Notice against the Lord, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion by the way, remember Zion in a few weeks when we get to the temple? Little little hint there we'll talk about. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son. I think that's a pretty clear statement that the father and the son of the triune Godhead are in conversation thou art my son this day have i begotten thee not begotten like we were begotten but in a whole different way and we're not going to study that tonight because we don't have time ask of me and i shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession thou shalt break them with a rod of iron and thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel Notice that he speaks now to the kings. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Be instructed, you members of the United Nations. Be instructed. Serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. What is that trembling? The trembling of standing before the holy God of Israel, who is awesome in power, might, majesty. Kiss the Son. Notice, in in essence, what he says is worship the Son, Jesus, Yeshua. Worship the Son lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. I've said time and time again, as we've studied in scripture, studied in prophecy, that all nations will be judged before God. All nations. And the key element to that is Proverbs 14.34 Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Sin just being completely separating themselves from the God who wants to bless them, but they don't want the blessing of God. So, we begin our our study in Ezekiel 39 and uh, we'll see how long it takes. It shouldn't take us too long. It's not that long of a chapter. We should be able to complete it quickly because I really want to get to chapter 40 because there are some interesting things that we need to look at when it comes, not just to the temple in heaven, but the temple that will be built in these last days. The Jews are expecting and wanting so much to have their temple for sacrifices once again. So continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, as it says in the scriptures, and pray for the Lord to come quickly. It is a prayer that we can pray. It's the word in the New Testament, Maranatha. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful and so blessed to have the opportunity, Lord, not only to come to your throne of grace, to lift up our voices in praise and thanksgiving to you, but, Lord, also to come and open your word and pray that, Lord, in these verses, in these chapters that we study, that you'll speak to our hearts about how we need to live as we see the day of Christ approaching. More and more, Lord God, we are to live godly and righteously in the present age. And Lord, we struggle as often as we do, even when there isn't all of this stuff going on. So we pray for your strength. We pray for the anointing and blessing of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that you would fill us and cleanse us and purify our hearts. Father, I pray that you will forgive us and cleanse us. and and then use us lord use us to be a light to those in darkness and to be salt to those that need uh, lord to be influenced in righteousness and holiness not because we are but because you are and so father we thank you for this opportunity today bless us lord with more and more knowledge and understanding But, Lord, that that knowledge would be a good knowledge and that our living it out will be a good example and a good testimony. We do ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Shall we stand? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom. Give you peace, pray again for the peace of Jerusalem, pray for the people of Israel. pray for the Lord uh, just to bring about every day His will so that we can be ready to to go at any time. So I want to remind you that uh, I need your prayers this week I'll be going to Kansas City for a conference and uh, I uh, want you to be here this uh, Saturday or Sunday because uh, Greg Reed's going to be here and uh, I'm, I, I really know that you're going to be blessed by his, uh, by his teaching and his presence. So uh, don't forget that. No messing around. Come to church. <laughs> Love you guys. God bless you. Let's sing. And after we sing, if you need prayer, come on up to the front. Somebody will be here to pray for you. God bless you.
1: Faithful name, great is Your faithfulness. You never change, You never fail, Oh God. To all Your promises, to all Your promises, to all Your promises. You never change. You never fail, oh God. And so we raise up holy hands to pray.